0: Thanks for listening, and welcome to the CoachMays.com podcast, where high school basketball coaches can turn to find that one takeaway to add to their already successful programs. Like you, I'm a high school coach, so let me know on Twitter, at Coach J. Mays, what your takeaway from today's talk was. Coaches, today we're going to sit down with Jer Sasser. Jer is G-E-R, short for Gerald. He is the owner of CrossFit Countdown, a fitness facility, a CrossFit box, quote unquote, here in Ashland, Kentucky. He is also the strength coach for Ashland Paul Blazer High School and the team I coach, the Ashland Paul Blazer uh, Tomcat basketball team. The impact Jer has had on our program is, I can't describe into words, I, I feel that powerful about it. Hopefully the, that, that is felt through our po- podcast interview today. He is really good at what he does. He understands the high school athlete, and I am positively sure that you're going to be able to find value in this discussion and how you can make your strength training and conditioning program for your high school basketball program better because of this interview.
1: So Today, I'm with Jer Sasser. Jer has become an integral part of our basketball program here at Ashland Blazer High School in Ashland, Kentucky. And we were just joking before we got on how it's crazy how such how, how his role in our program is such, a, is such a dominant one right now and the influence he has with our kids. And in my opinion, he doesn't know jack squat about basketball. <laughs> we were sort of, sort of joking about that. But, Jared, before we get into, you know, your why behind the what and why you're visiting with us today – Give us a little background on uh, your journey to get to the point uh, where you currently are in your career. What's led you here?
2: Okay. Um, I grew up here. I graduated from Boyd County High School, 2008. And when I was there, I had a weightlifting class. And I I remember like one of the very first days, and I was brand new, it it was like middle of junior year. And I'd I'd never really worked out before, so this was like my first time in a gym, like for exercise. Didn't really play sports in high school, so... Well, they were trying to teach me how to clean, and it turned into just pull it off the floor and jump it to your shoulders. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, there has to be more to it. Like, there's a right and a wrong way to dig a ditch. And so, uh, I like that. You know? It's just... I, I knew there was more to it, and... That kind of just led me down the strength and conditioning path after uh, college and stuff like that. So, so where did you go to college? I went to Moorhead for two years.
1: Moorhead State. And did you? how did you grow as a, uh, as a lifter, if you will, while you were in college?
2: Uh, I, I mean, I started out in college as uh, pure vanity reasons. And I would lift with my roommate and a couple buddies. And it didn't take me very long to realize they didn't look how I wanted to look. Um, you know, you follow the professionals, but then you look at the people following the professionals and none of them looked like that. Is that that makes sense? Like they didn't, you know, they didn't look how I wanted to look. I just wanted to look good. So so who what strength and
1: conditioning influencers influencers or influences did you have um at this point in your life? When did you start to maybe get a little bit more serious, a little bit more intense with wanting to be better?
2: Yeah, so that kind of started the journey of me finding uh what I thought was going to work. And uh, that was CrossFit at that time. So I kind of just dabbled a little bit Uh, because there was normal Joe Schmoes that were doing it that looked, that I thought looked good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if if you want to chase that body type, do what they're doing. And so that's, that's kind of where it started. And then it went from a vanity point into a performance point. And I didn't really care how I looked. I just wanted to run faster, lift more, be better. And, uh, the, the funny thing is, is once I started chasing performance, the, the look that I wanted, I guess, just kind of followed.
1: Well, let, let me ask you. Let me stop you there. That's interesting. How wide of a gap is there, in your opinion, between exercising and fitness for vanity's sake versus performance
2: sake? So, I, I'm a firm believer that Olympians and grandmas should be doing the same thing. I, I firmly believe that. No. You've got to explain. Not in kind, but so they're going to do the same thing in kind, right? So, so in kind, they'll do the same thing, but not in degree. So obviously, the Olympian's going to be doing more, or they might be doing more weight, but that doesn't mean a grandma doesn't need to be doing the same things. of that. Now, you know, once you get to the Olympics, you're extremely sports specific, but they're still going to be doing a lot of the backfilling that the Olympian's going to do. They're just not going to have the amount of weight, or the height, or the you know, longevity, but uh, they should be doing the same. It doesn't change. Like, they're still human beings, and they should, you know, in my opinion, you should be chasing chasing athletics so you can live a full life when you're 80, 85, 90. You know. As we age, strength
1: training becomes a very important part of our wellness. It's, it's something that I've learned when I was coaching Nevada Austin State. One, Nevada Austin State, one of the side gigs I had was I had to teach fitness and wellness at the university like it and in studying and preparing for those classes I realized how important strength training was for the elderly yeah um, from osteoporosis uh, prevention standpoint from you know per, uh, fall prevention standpoint so it's
2: funny that you you uh, bring in grandma yeah. to the analogy there <laughs> that's the number one reason of going to the nursing home okay. falls right muscle dystrophy yeah it's not strong enough wow
1: Okay. So you graduate college. What, what's, what's your mindset like, uh, with you getting serious about this? Did you go into the job force? Did you get a real job, so to speak? Or did you even hammer down even
2: harder with your training? So first of all, I didn't graduate. <laughs> Just to set it straight. <laughs> Don't look me up. I only have 68 hours or something. I was a math major and then I kind of found fitness. And I took a few fitness classes at the very beginning of my junior year, and they said things that just didn't make sense to me. And I would ask questions and not really receive an answer. And so then I just started looking stuff up on my own, but nobody would tell me things that made sense, like kind of like what I just told you. But So I decided I was going to go off and do it on my own, and a business plan on a napkin was the goal there. And then uh, my dad said it was good. <laughs> so he fronted me a little money and I had money saved from, I don't know, I probably saved money from the time I was 12 Yeah, as far as birthdays and stuff like that. Pretty frugal. But uh, some of that stuff combined, I just went for it, got a certification and started training people. And I'll be the first to tell you, I probably didn't do a very good job at the beginning. <laughs> so you were taking on clientele. Uh, clientele
1: and-, and when did you have your first uh, gym to your own?
2: I opened the gym, I think, April of 2012. So,
1: is that the one here in Ashland? Is that, that is the one here in Ashland. Okay. okay.
2: So, now you're to the
1: point where you're a business owner, You know you've got clientele, so obviously you're developing a philosophy when it comes to strength and conditioning. I've been in interviews before where people say, "What's your coaching philosophy?" And I'm like, you know, really, that's that's like a huge question. It is, you know. So let me ask you this in a way that I think you can nail it down to where high school basketball coaches can benefit from. It. What is your strength and con- conditioning philosophy as it pertains to training high
2: school basketball? So specifically for high school. I don't think it matters what sport you play. You're just trying to create a better, rounded athlete. You want them to be good at as many things as they can be good at. Uh, And all those good things will pile on top of each other, and they'll learn things and adapt faster on the court. Uh, But, you know, because as a ninth grader coming in, I mean, you're what, 14? Yeah. So, So, you know, they've only been in their bodies for 14 years. And, you know, for 14 years they've been growing, so it's never the same. And uh, they just need to learn how to move correctly. And no one really teaches them how to move correctly. So, I mean, you watch, you can, you can watch basketball games and kids don't jump properly. And it's not because they don't know how to jump. It's just they've never had a load on their backside and found tension before. And so they don't use the spring of their hamstring. But, you know, it's just simple so things like that can,
1: can translate to the basketball court. So not really being sports specific, just making sure that you're developing uh, an overall athlete that has integrity in their their physical movements, such as explosion, you know, leaping off the floor, running, sprinting, being able to carry a load from a weight-bearing standpoint, and, you know, agility forward, backward to, you know. So, it's not really, you're not really going to treat a basketball player that much different than you are a a female soccer
2: player. Yeah, correct. So, Now there, there is a there's a few differences there. Right. Where you know we'll touch once or twice a week, and we'll try to make it slightly more sports specific. But you know, just from a strength conditioning conditioning's perspective in high school, I think it's the coach's job to make the basketball player. Right. I'm just trying to make better athletes in high school, and so so there there is a lot of crossover there between a female soccer player and and a male basketball player. Absolutely.
1: And one of the things that I've noticed about our relationship. Is I don't come in and try to influence what you're doing inside your dojo, so to speak. Right. And you don't try to influence what I'm doing inside my dojo, so to speak. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, when our players, whether it's here in our weight room at school or whether it's at your facility downtown, that's your terrain. You're the boss, you're the coach. I want your voice. Being the one they're listening to, and that I think that you you have reciprocated that when you've come in to watch practice here, and for for our listeners, Jair's come to practice just to watch movements and just to watch what they're doing in a basketball specific setting, and to see if you know if he can learn uh, some other things that he needs to do or tweak in their workouts that will maybe benefit them. But he's just he's really come in and just watched them move. Which I thought was pretty cool, but I think that's important for coaches that are wanting to get serious with their strength and conditioning. You know, you need to vet your coach, and you need to you know work out all the details. But once you re- you need to release your kids to that coach. Yeah, there's some, there's a lot of faith there for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think our kids appreciate that. I think when they see me show up to watch a workout, they're not worried about what I'm thinking or what I'm doing. They're listening to you because they see how you and I work. So I mean I think our kids benefit from the way we have we coach our kids differently as well. I agree with that. All right, so I want to touch on this because um you know I I never run from my faith. I think it's an important part of of who I am as a person, as a husband, as a father and as a coach, but you know, Jerry, what is your why behind your what? You know, regarding your career. I mean, what what drives you to get out of bed at 4:30 in the morning? So you can do that 5.45 a.m. class.
2: Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, a lot of it's family, right? Uh, That's definitely prevalent, especially after I had kids. Uh, Just trying to support them in in the best way I know how is uh, extremely important. But also just to impact people. Like, we've had people with diabetes come in. They're, you know, all over insulin and this, that, and the other, and then all of a sudden, they've come for six months and you've taken this chronic disease and you've basically punched it in the face where they don't have to take medicine anymore. They don't check their blood pressure, but once you, or not their blood pressure, but their blood sugar, you know, they're only checking it once or twice a day. Uh, instead of you know, I, I mean, I know diabetics that check it every hour or, or less, you know, especially when they're working out. You know, teaching basic nutrition stuff, basic movement patterns, and uh, helping people live fuller lives, like especially once they're older age. That's probably. It's gonna sound weird. That's probably my favorite group to work with. Uh, it's probably like seventy plus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so how how did it, how's it made
2: you feel this year to
1: come to our games and watch our team play? What what kind of what kind of emotions did you feel, knowing how hard they have worked with you, and now you're just sitting as a spectator in the stands, watching them go thirty three and zero, win their district, their region, and at times throughout the state, be ranked number one in the state. How did you feel watching that?
2: Uh it, it it's it's cool. There's definitely there's definitely more to it, obviously, when you have an emotional attachment to something. You know, you appreciate it more and it, it it's so cool to see them win. But at the same time, like when they're not losing, I almost felt like it was my job to almost challenge or humble them in the gym. Hmm. And so there was at least two days specifically where it was like, I'm programming this to make them lose. Like it's impossible to do. I just want to see how they respond. You know what I mean. So but. let's let's move into
1: that. that. That's a good transition. So you know, coaches listening, you know, that's sort of the background of Jer. And obviously, in the intro to the podcast, you heard my thoughts on you know how what I think of this this man and what he's done for our athletes and our in our basketball program. But let's let's transition to that. So let's talk about programming. Let's start with the school year. So let's start mid-August. Okay. Let me just recite what our our program is, and then you sort of chime in after that and how you think that works. When school starts, we're four days a week, uh, usually two days there at your gym and two days here at the school. The lifts are about an hour long. And we do that all the way through October 15th, which is when practice starts. And then from October 15th to the end of our game season. We lift two days a week. There were a few weeks where we didn't get two in, we just got one in. But I think the majority of those weeks we stuck to our discipline and getting our lifts in. You know, you can't always control the game schedule and holidays and tournaments and injuries and things of that nature. But, you know, it was important that we maintain two days a week lifting discipline during our season. And then, the goal uh, in a non-coronavirus year is to give them uh, a week off after the state tournament, and then we enter our postseason and off-season program, which school's still in session, but the season is over, and we go back to four days a week. And then when school is out in the month of June, where we play about 25 to 30 games, we can only lift one or two days a week then because we travel to team camps and we're playing so many games, but we still find time to get one or two lifts in a week. And then after dead period, which in Kentucky is the last week of June and the first week of July, we're back at it in July, four days a week, all the way until school starts. So really, we're July, August, September, first part of October, four days a week. And then when practice starts and the season starts we're two days a week, and then when the season ends, we're back to four days a week. So that's our program. How do you think that's worked for a high school basketball program?
2: I I mean, I think it's worked really well. You know, some of that can change based on who you're playing, if you're strong or weak, what your team looks like, and all that goodness, especially in the season. Um, but overall, I really like what has been set up so far. Yeah. Uh, but You know, you're blessed with kids that uh, a lot of your kids don't play multi-sports. You only have a couple, right?
1: Right, we encourage multi-sport athletes. It just they they're they're they've got a future in this sport, and so they're they're invested in becoming the best basketball player and the best basketball athlete that they can become.
2: So you know, you're right. Yeah, it's just so it's especially important for kids that are specific sport to have more touches in the weight room, especially in the off season, because they're not getting different types of activity uh, through the rest of the year. So just that general athletic.
1: So, we're, I mean, we're a year-round strength and conditioning basketball program. Yeah. I mean, and, and to coaches listening, that's what your kids that are going to play at the next level are going to have to do anyhow. And so I would like a college coach to come in and, and after they've signed one of our players say, you know, physically, you know, Joe Smith was the best high school athlete we've signed as far as his preparation to the weight room and our conditioning and the physicality of the college game. Uh, and just sort of thank you for getting into that level, you know I've coached college for over two decades, and that was one of the things you always had to do with your high school signees is you had to sort of catch them up to the older and because there was a huge strength- uh difference between yeah. an incoming freshman in college and a twenty two year old senior absolutely um and you know there was a huge disparity there, so the job that we're doing here better prepares those kids that want to play at the next level and have the ability to to that college environment. So how does CrossFit, not to name drop or brand drop, but I mean, you are affiliated with CrossFit. How does CrossFit uh, fit with young athletes? How is that brand, that type of training, you know, how does that work for a high school athlete?
2: (laughs) It's a funny question. Uh, So I actually approached the school. uh, I mean, I guess it was... Just over a year ago, right? And uh, I didn't mention CrossFit once
1: mm-hmm.
2: on purpose. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there's there's bad thoughts out there about it. Now, are your kids doing CrossFit more or less? Yeah, probably, if you want to look at like a definition. Um, was it also a strength and conditioning program? And the answer to that is obviously yes. Uh, so, I, I actually tend to shy away from that word with high school athletes uh, most of that stems all the way back from, from like five or six years ago with the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And they posted a bogus article that said CrossFit increases injury. And everybody ate it up. And then they got a defamation lawsuit against them. That CrossFit won because the statistics were made mm-hmm. up. But, so I, I actually tend to shy away from that word as much as possible. Well, the reason I ask is because a lot of coaches listening will know that there's a CrossFit,
1: they'll know the brand CrossFit. There's a CrossFit box, you know, is what they call the gyms in their hometown or maybe two or maybe three in their town. So they know that brand and they, they know they they only know if they haven't been to a box, they only know what their brain recognizes, what they've seen on TV, what they've seen in the media, what they, they see the CrossFit brand and what that represents to them. So that's why I use that term. But what you're saying is, it's all it is. It's a term. It's you know your your gym is affiliated with that brand, but at the end of the day, your kids are coming in there. You're their strength coach, and it's strength and conditioning. It's not CrossFit. It's
2: just strength and conditioning. It's just strength and conditioning. Yeah.
1: Well, I I think that would help a lot of coaches because you know what we our kids don't go to CrossFit. They go to a gym uh, that has CrossFit, as a you know, as part of the brand of the gym, but when they walk in there, they're not they're 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 working out. They're not CrossFitting, and I think that's important because I've had a lot of coaches that have asked me about what we do, and they say, "So you kids go to CrossFit?" And I say, "No, they don't go to CrossFit. Our strength coach." Owns a, a gym affiliated with CrossFit. Right? right. You know, and so I think there's a difference there. So yeah. I wanted to. There's a lot that.
2: of movements that CrossFit does that I'm not going to teach the kids. Yeah, interesting. So, so how common, Jer, is what
1: our basketball program, what it's doing right now from a strength and conditioning standpoint, how common is that among high school basketball programs to your knowledge? I mean, to
2: my knowledge, it's not. Very typical, but you're talking to a humpy bumpkin from Kentucky here, right? So, you know, and you know, uh, the higher you know population states, maybe I'm not a hundred percent sure. Not not any that I know around here, coach. Uh, you know, coaches listening. I, I coached college ball for over two decades.
1: I just finished my second year as a high school coach, and in, in all those years recruiting high school kids, I never once recruited a kid from a school or went to see a kid play at a high school where they had a paid strength coach. Now, I'm sure they're out there. I know for a fact there are some in high school levels, like in, in, in big football states. Like I know when I was okay. at Bad Austin State, some of the high schools in Georgia would have yeah. paid strength coaches. Yes. I know some of the high schools in Texas have paid strength coaches, which is pretty much driven by football, right? to be honest, and good for them. But I, I never saw a basketball-specific strength coach in any of the schools that i recruited kids from. So I think we're a trendsetter somewhat in that. And does it matter? It depends on uh, on what your kids achieve on the floor. And last year, I told you this several times, one of the most common comments that a coach after a game gave me was, your kids are stronger than they look. That's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, you know, and so after about the fourth or fifth time, our assistants would hear, it and we'd all just sort of chuckle, right? Right. Uh, because we all just it just confirmed what we were doing. So there's no quick fixes, Jared, and and getting a team stronger, fitter. How would you lay out your plan if you were to go in cold to a high school program where they had no. Uh, year-round lifting program, but obviously the desire to implement one was there. And they called you and you went in and said, okay, help us lay out a plan. You know, how can we get this thing off the ground and running? How would you guide them? Oh, man. that's So,
2: I mean, stepping into something like that is super hard. Um, I mean, the the first thing you're going to want to do is look at movement. And they have to move correctly. And you got to make sure that that is – at you know the base of the pyramid more or less, because uh, if they're not moving correctly, then you know you got a higher chance of injuring a kid, which is obviously not good for the basketball court if you're injuring someone in the weight room. But also, it almost needs to be like almost needs to be like a culture thing in the weight room where it's like you move correctly or you don't do it. Like we, does is, is that make any sense at all? Well, and I think it's yes, it makes sense. I think it's
1: interesting that you're not talking about. I mean, when you mention culture, I think a lot of coaches' mind would run to intense and competition, and you know, let's put a headband on, tie it behind her head like Rambo kind of mentality, right. All right? But no, you you came with technique, and you came with movement and integrity of movements. So I think that's interesting that you know that was also affiliated with the word culture in the weight room.
2: Yeah, it's. Now, there's a time and place for intensity and all that stuff, and you know, you're going to touch intensity at the beginning as well, but it's going to be with simple movements, uh, not with complex lifts, especially at the beginning, until they've proven time and time again that they can do them, uh, and they can do them under load, and they can do them while you have a high, high heart rate, right? Mm-hmm. So lots of people shoot free throws pretty good when their heart rate's low, and then all of a sudden their heart rate's 160, everyone's screaming their lungs out, and they don't shoot that well, <laughs> and so movement's the same way. It's, it's, everything gets harder when your heart rate's h- higher, and so like just just for reference, like your kids have we uh, we have we haven't we've never maxed their back squat, and it's been a year and a half now. We're getting ready to, uh, but it's because we stepped in, and you know there's there's some movement errors there, and so thankfully they trusted me enough that we could back it up a little bit, uh, get things moving correctly, loosen some guys up through stretching and know, foam rolling and mild fascial release stuff, but uh, now we're at a place where we're confident enough that if we load them up, they're still going to do it correctly. And so, in two weeks, we'll know what their back squat max is. There we go. Of- <laughs>
1: uh, so let's let's make sure we drill down on this. So let, let's act like we're talking to a high school coach or okay. staff that their school has not. Uh, invested in a strength coach from right. a salaried employee uh, standpoint um, or they are just considering maybe hiring one at a fundraising you know, or whatever okay. they're willing to do. Yeah, certainly possible. But uh, let's also talk to the high school coach that they got to do it themselves. Right. Okay, So how does a high school coach who doesn't have the formal training in integrity of movement and technique mean what can they do to make sure that they're being they're creating a culture of technique and an integrity of movement in their weight room.
2: That was hard. That's super hard. Like, yeah, you know, I'll be—I'll be the first to tell you. When I first started, like, I had to go back and apologize to people. Like, dude, I know I told you this, but I was wrong. Like, <laughs> that's not—you know—the more you know, right? It's just you know, you can only teach what you know. And uh, unfortunately, I wasn't taught a hundred percent correctly, but. I will tell you that if I was a sports specific coach and I was trying to to, to drill down integrity of movement, um, I would probably start uh, CrossFit.com has a it's like a level one certification and the the book itself is free, hmm. and so it's like a seven hundred page book and it goes over all the points of performance on simple movements like the squat, deadlift, press, and so it'll break down points of you know just like it goes it's like a hierarchy as well like it'll tell you like what's most important what's second most important and you just start going down the line i mean it obviously it takes time to be able to identify those things on the fly and be able to fix them but at least you have a starting point of what needs to be done and what it should look like in the long term
1: now you're actually doing uh you're you're getting some opportunities here in kentucky to go visit some high school programs we won't mention them by name Okay. On the podcast, but you're actually going to go visit some high school programs. I think because of what a lot of people have seen on our social media and have heard about, you know, some of the things that we've been doing here at Ashland Paul Blazer. You're actually going to go visit some high school coaches and sit down with them and actually implement some things with their teams in this part of the process, the beginning part yeah. uh, where you're teaching technique. So, you know, coaches interested, feel free to you know contact me. Coach Jay Mays on Twitter uh, and I can I can pass Jar's information along to you if you're interested in doing that with your program. But Jar's right. I mean, we don't test but once a year. When I say test, all right, let's see how much weight you can lift doing this. Yeah. And it's just not it's not who we are. It's not really important. And, you know, coming out of college, you know, I thought it was. But with these high school kids, the coaches you know, <laughs> these kids are still babies. You mean, they're, they're, you know, they're still 14, 15, 16, 17, somewhere 18. And in college, you know, you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-old kids that have pretty much stopped growing. And so their bodies are totally different. But, you know, we've had to learn to be patient with uh, certain kids and certain body types that are, are longer and a little bit more frailer. And just let the natural process of, of growth do most of the work while they just, you know, continue to show up and be consistent with the technique and the movement. But what's really cool is, again, this is just my second year as a high school coach, so my second year coaching these age, this, these age kids. And right now I'm starting to see how the kids becoming sophomores and juniors are really getting stronger. I mean, we've got 16-year-old kids, Jer, that are power cleaning 215 pounds at five foot ten, 160 pounds. Yeah, that was multiple reps. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was a good day. And that, you can see some light bulbs going yeah, on. Yeah, I mean that day. And so the coaches, these kids are, are gaining confidence because they feel better, they look better, they feel stronger, and that makes them a more confident player on the floor. So it's just interesting how we we don't really test our kids on how much you can lift. You know, we don't we don't have a marker board up there that says, "Okay, right. who's in this weight club?" As far as pushing yeah. this much, that's just not who we are, and I,
2: I think that's just fine. I mean, it's, 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 they have a good idea still, and it's not saying that we don't put weight on the bar because we do. Mm-hmm. It's just you know, it's not as heavy as possible all the time.
1: So. Let's talk about nutrition. I I just had a Zoom meeting with our team and other families, and I told them that uh, you and I are going to schedule a nutrition seminar for our families here sooner than later. Uh, So this is something we haven't done yet, but we're actually going to have you at one of our uh, player-parent meetings, and you're going to talk about nutrition to all the stakeholders in our player families. And you're going to talk about, you know, Mom and Dad, this is what you should be buying at the grocery store and why. You know, you can tell them to go buy this, but they need to know why they need to feed their child this. You know, Joe Smith, sophomore, junior, this is why you need to eat this, this and this and drink this, this and this. You know, you're going to talk about supplements and things of that nature. But I've heard you say before that it all starts with nutrition. You can come in in the gym and you can do this and that. But I've heard, you've told me, because I, I I lift at your gym yeah five days a week and you told me if you want to get back in shape, you want to lose it all starts with nutrition. What do you mean by that?
2: I just mean it's the it's the it's the it's the most important, right? So you know, your your first block of the pyramid, the biggest block, is gonna be nutrition. And everything's kinda of built upon that. That's what I mean by that. What's what's built after nutrition? How would you how would you build that pyramid? So I would say gymnastics is after that, but all I'm All I mean by gymnastics is just how you move your body correctly. Uh, Do you know how to load? Do you know how to have tension? You know, do you know how to move long loads, large distances quickly? (laughs) (laughs) Then what's on top of that? Uh, Let's see here. Probably weightlifting. No, weightlifting is probably probably metabolic endurance. Uh, Being able to do, move your body correctly over long durations, especially as a basketball player. Uh, You know, you you're out there what thirty two minutes? So, mm-hmm. uh, metabolic conditioning is probably after that, and then being able to move weight is probably after that. So, what advice would you
1: give coaches? And you know, we don't have training tables here. You know, I, I'm getting old. You know, we used to call training tables where the where the team used to go eat their meals provided by strength coaches and nutritionists. Okay. Now, all these college programs they've 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 got different terms and stuff for it. But you know, right. we're high school. We don't we don't have a we don't have somebody in the back of our locker right now preparing protein shakes after practices. You know, we don't have a student athlete specific chair. I mean, we're a public high school, right? So, what would you tell coaches that have, you know, don't have the resources to, you know, go above and beyond from a nutrition standpoint? How should they? How should their teams be fueling their bodies? I mean, what are some just common components that
2: are important? I mean, so. The, the the easiest rule to follow uh, is eat things without a nutrition label. So if I go to the store and I buy, I don't know, Cheez-Its or whatever. Like what's in Cheez-Its? I have no idea, by the way. I have no idea. But <laughs> well, you can find out, right? You can find out what's in Cheez-Its. You turn the box over. There's an ingredient list. And you can, you can list it off, right? But if you go to the store and you buy an apple, right? What's in an apple? It's like, well, it's just an apple. Like there's not there's there's no ingredient list on the apple because everyone just knows it's an apple, and so just keep it. It's one of those keep it simple stupid things, you know. It's just eat real food. That's what was it you've told me? Eat it, it. It's either from the ground or from a mother. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully, it wasn't processed in a plant somewhere. Right, but that, you know they are kids. And so, you know, is it is it wrong to, you know, treat them every now and again? Absolutely. Go for it. You know, and that that's another big thing with families right now. There's a huge difference between treats and snacks. Hmm. Does that make sense? hmm It's like, if you know, is it their birthday? Awesome. Let's have a treat. Like, did you just go 33 and 0? Awesome. Let's have a treat. Are you hungry after lunch? Sweet. Have a snack. Not a treat. Like, yeah, I don't know. There's, yeah. There's a big difference. Let me tell you a
1: funny story. When I I was at Valdosta State, there was uh, a—South Georgia is home to not pecans, but pecans. Pecans. uh, And peanuts and cotton and tall Georgia pines and timbers. But the, the peanut farms were interesting to me because you'd be driving down Interstate 75 and they would be cultivating their peanut farms. And they just put up so much dust, the traffic on Interstate 75 would come to a standstill. Until the wow. tractor turned around and all the dust got out oh, wow. off the interstate. <laughs> but um, so we had some, well, some supporters of our school and our, and our program that, and so they had relationships with Jeff Peanut Butter. And I remember one day a uh, tractor trailer backs into our loading dock next to our arena, and I hear this beep, beep, you know, you know a truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, who's, what tractor trailer is pulling in today? And the guy's unloading a pallet. Full of Jiff peanut butter for our basketball program. <laughs> That's wild. I mean, we could have. That was a more. We, we could have had seven seasons and I ate ate oh, all of peanut butter.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh,
1: yeah I was giving yeah. players like, "Here's your peanut butter." because <laughs> I don't even eat peanut butter. Oh, <laughs> but they shoot. they you know these peanut farmers knew the proteins. and you know they're they're very they were very prideful. And their product and, and the protein and say, hey, you know, we want to support your basketball program. We're going to feed you guys a bunch of protein. So we had pallets oh, wow. of peanut butter. But anyways, let's finish <laughs> up here. We've got a few minutes wow. left. And I want to I wanna talk about something that I think is important to any high school coach as they try to improve their program through strength uh, training and, and conditioning. And let's talk about the dangers of comparisons and judgment in the weight room. I was just talking to our team before we started, we got on here about the comparative mindset and how it's a dangerous mindset. We were, coaches, we were talking about the word try and you need to try when you have fear. You need to try when you have doubt and you need to try even when there's a risk of embarrassment for not accomplishing the task that you're trying to achieve. And, you know, when we try things that we're scared of and unsure of or that we may fail at it's easy to become uh, to get a comparative mindset where I compare where I am to someone else Uh, usually when we do that we're comparing ourselves at a point where we're not doing very well to somebody who is is at a point where they're doing very well and that's dangerous and so a lot of young high school players when they first come into the weight room you know they're going to walk in they're going to compare where they are to some other kids and a lot of times those kids are going to be older, stronger, faster, bigger. Right. And that's dangerous. And, and and they start to judge themselves. So one of the things we did this year was with our incoming freshmen, we kept them separate for two or three weeks. And you worked yeah. with them specifically before we integrated them with the rest of the team who had been under your tutelage in the weight room for a year. Yeah. Right? Because we didn't want to shock on all them. We didn't want them to start comparing themselves to kids who've already been doing this for a year we didn't want um, them to judge themselves unfairly but talk to me about how you manage you know young because these are teenagers with social media and snapchat and instagram and all this tiktok and all this stuff you know we want a judgment free zone and a comparison free
2: zone why is that important with high school kids in the weight room it I just leads to self doubt right like you gotta make confident kids uh, that's, I, I think it's I, man, that's a hard question. It's just, I mean, it, it's one of those. Obviously, it's important. How do you do it, right? Um, so that, and I think I think that's the answer. Like, you don't want kids coming in and you know, you you saying this is what we're going to do, and they have no clue what you're talking about. And so we we tried to address that first. Uh, but yeah, you just they won't grow nearly as quickly or as fast. They just won't be as confident if there's self doubt there. And so and. You know, sometimes it's, it's you got to know when to try to ramp them up and when to try to bring them down slightly. And so, Good point. like sometimes we'll use percentage-based workouts and we did this, it might have been the day, uh, I think you might you might have been there, but we used a percentage off the clean and so, uh, in in the workout afterwards. And so, basically what happens is when you're using a percentage, the better lifter you are, right, the more... Uh, the more precise you are in your lifting, the longer you've done it, the better lifter you are, the harder that's going to be because you're using your potential better. Whereas someone that just stepped in, that's a freshman, they're not, they're still not moving quite perfectly. And so there's a lot of untapped potential there. And so it, their percentage is way easier to do, even though it's the same percent, because they're not maximizing their performance if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it does. So if you're lifting higher weights, right, that percentage is heavier. And so all of a sudden you got a group full of freshmen whipping up on the varsity kids that have done this for a year. And so, you know, obviously we don't do that all the time or even close to all the time. Uh, but but there is definitely some building going on there as far as confidence and uh, and, and humbling at the same time. So,
1: well, I think if you're going to implement a serious strength and conditioning program in your, in your basketball program, you've got to be aware that these kids are going to wrongfully compare themselves to others because of fear and doubt and fear of embarrassment. And you've got to, you've got to manage that. And you've got to let them know it's okay to start small. Uh, like they said in the movie Patriot, I love, I, I use this all the time, aim small, miss small. Yeah. And so, and, and if you, if they, like Jar said, if they grow... You know, it's 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 organic growth. Uh, what we're seeing with our kids in the weight room is they're just they're naturally just getting more confident, and stronger mentally, physically, emotionally, because we 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 accepted who they were when they came in, and we just met them at that point physically and mentally, um, and I, I think it's been. Uh, a healthy way to run a strength and conditioning program for a high school basketball program. So, Jerry, let's let's wrap this up. Anna, you've got you've got to go coach, and thankfully it's my off day today, so I, my my old uh, 44-year-old bones can can rest. <laughs> but I, you know, I just want to just uh, let you know again how much that our kids uh our coaches appreciate you and and coaches listening our parents. Love Jer and what he's doing. You know, we we also pay Jer uh, in off season out of fundraising, and that's the easiest ask I have during the year for parents to reimburse what we're spending. Is I ask them to pay for their summer workouts, um, their strength training workouts. That is the easiest ask I have. They would pay. Four times what I ask them for. um, Don't tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) Because they they know what it does uh, for their child. And uh, so this is a win win for our program. And hopefully you, you picked up some nuggets of knowledge to make your program better.
0: Coaches, I hope you found value from today's podcast with Jer Sasser. My takeaway today was I really didn't realize we weren't testing our kids. And I'm fine with that. When I say testing, I mean, how much can you max on this lift and that lift? Because what's important is the process of our strength training and conditioning. It's not how much can you lift, it's how hard can you lift and how often are you lifting. So it was just interesting for me to realize, come to the realization that we we really don't test our kids and how much they can lift. If you have any questions about today's podcast or would like to find out more information about Jer, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at CoachMaysPod, and we'll get right back to you. Thanks for listening to the CoachMays.com podcast.